So everybody is talking about AI these days, and whether you love it or hate it, it's just not going anywhere. <laughs> and one of the reasons I find it so fascinating, aside from it being so powerful, is our relationship with it. Are we afraid of it? Do we think it's going to take us over? Or do we think that there is possibility, a potential to engage it, to create something better in collaboration with it? This is why I really loved having this conversation with my guest, Rachel Azafrani. She is an AI ethicist who's at the heart of some of the most profound questions and policy that's being created to guide and steer the direction of where AI goes, how we use it, and how it hopefully will support humanity. I really appreciated Rachel's engagement of our agency in the questions around how AI gets developed because we are in this really critical tipping point, threshold of where this technology goes, how we use it in service to us and the world, and all of that depends on how we engage and find our agency in defining what we want from it. So I would love to know what you think because a big part of this is all about engaging what you think, your hopes, desires, and what you don't want to see from this technology or how it's being used. So take a listen, let me know what you think, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Hi, Rachel. I am so excited to have you on this episode of Currents. I mean, it's been amazing to talk with you ever since we were both at the World Economic Forum and just excited to share your wisdom and insights because we've had some really fascinating conversations about AI, which is at the top of everyone's mind. <laughs> but yeah, just excited to dive in. For, for those who don't know Rachel, I mean, I'd love you to introduce yourself, but at, at a high level, Rachel is an incredibly thoughtful, very awakened, enlightened AI ethicist who is just working really at the heart of everything that is happening in the world of AI right now. For those who you know have been following, there's just been tons of discussion, questions, controversy. And Rachel is just bringing, I, you know, so such a grounded human perspective, which is part of why I wanted to have this conversation together. She's been involved in research organizations and big tech, but yeah, Rachel, I don't know if you want to just say hello and share just a tiny bit of who you are and what brings you to this conversation. Thank you so much, Ray. And thank you for having me as part of this discussion and making space for this discussion. I think it's really timely. I am an AI ethicist, as you mentioned. I've got experience in research. My background is actually in cybersecurity and defense. I made a transition to AI and AI ethics as a result of my experiences working in the defense space and focused in that now I work on a whole wide variety of AI ethics issues, everything from conversational AI to human machine teaming. And I think we've just got a lot to, we just got a lot to dig into. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Amazing. And so, you know, part of where I wanted to have this conversation is that we've had so many sort of fascinating chats, I feel like. And the a lot of the ideas that you've presented have been things that I just haven't been thinking about. And I think that maybe others might not have been thinking 
about this perspective with AI. And and the first thing, you know, when we were in Davos, <laughs> I think the first thing that you said that really sparked an aha for me was just that, you know, I think there's a lot of fear and skepticism and sideways glances and also just like, I don't know if it's overwhelm with the feeling of AI, but something that you said was so fascinating and powerful for me, which was that, you know, AI just augments human capacity and that the problem isn't necessarily with, you know, the sort of movie version of AI becoming (laughs) sentient and destroying people, but more that it augments, right, the good and the bad aspects of people and humanity. And so just wanted to start there because that just really hit home for me. And I think is the foundation of a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about ever since. This is a big starting point of conversation for me and one I like to bring up because I think in so many social settings, the number one question that I get asked at, at I don't know if it's a it's going to be a party or a conference or what have you, it's the same question over and over again. And that is, is AI going to take over? Is AI going to take over our brains? Are we going to lose control to this this, you know, ambivalent monster, you know, formless creature that is AI. And the first thing that I have to say in response to that is, first of all, I think that one of the most profound changes in general that we have since we've introduced artificial intelligence technology into our society is that for the first time really in human history, we have a potential decision maker about human life and human experience that is not a human. And it's really that point that we have the choice and that we're going to delegate that choice out now to systems that is the most profound change for me. And of course, I think, you know, we're experimenting with integrating interfaces between computers and people and that research is ongoing but I think far before that takes place we're going to have a series of decisions made about people that are going to be increasingly automated and I think that when we focus too far forward or too far down the line where we actually have what one could call an integration between AI and people we are missing the whole landscape of development that's going to take place far before that happens that I think will have a much more transformative effect on society and on the economy before we ever get to that place. And one factor in that development is the idea that we actually have, as technology developers, we have agency in that process. We are going to as we're building AI, give it the ability to, you know, take on tasks and make decisions on our behalf. And as we are doing so, we are instructing systems to enact those behaviors in a certain way. And we actually have, and right now we have a really, you know, high form of control over that takes place. And as we're looking at, you know, very far forward future development, the way that we're shaping the landscape right now, the way that we're instructing systems to take these decisions on our behalf 
is really going to inform the future. But right now we need to focus on the way that we're creating systems and the values that we're asking them to espouse as we're making this transition. Mm. Yeah. That, that idea of two things come up as you're talking there is, you know, again, this idea that let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think it's easy to project out without being really present with the questions at hand that dictate that future. Right. And to your point, like agency being the critical factor here that like, this isn't some sort of runaway train, but that we are actually in control of, you know, defining what we want this to be able to do, how we want it to be able to do that, what, you know, measures and or protections we want in place for the things that we value or don't. And what a powerful way to sort of reframe what's happening right now as a choice point, right? And a sort of Mm -hmm. timeline of choice points that starts with, you know, being really present with (laughs) What is it that we want and don't want? And so I'm curious, you know, maybe how that's coming to life, some of the questions that you're engaging. You know, I I think that this also came through something you said at one point that grounded this idea, which is that, you know, these days everybody talks about data in this sort of binary way. Either I have to give up all my data or... I don't, and I, you know, don't have access. Right. And that, that didn't have to be the paradigm for how we engage in data, but that sort of happened by virtue of like how all of these systems were developed. And, you know, again, that didn't have to be the case. Right. But because we sped ahead and made certain choices, that's what we have now. And so, really curious kind of, you know, what you're seeing within the landscape of AI and, you know, maybe some of the choice points that, you know, we are navigating, negotiating, maybe more question marks than answers just yet, but yeah, what's seeming very present for you. That analogy, it really just holds so true for me, what you're describing where, and that's something that I I picked up from Shoshana Zuboff's work in the age of surveillance capitalism, where she really outlines how we got to the privacy paradigm that we're in right now, where we are so used to going on the internet or opening a new app on our phone, and it's free and in a cost sort of monetary perspective. But what are we giving, you know, to gain access to that technology? And that was a design choice, as you mentioned. Right now in AI, some similar choices that I'm seeing right now are the lines that we are drawing between what we are going to allow to be AI generated versus human generated, particularly in different kinds of writing. We see this in an academic sense. We see professors and teachers struggling. There's a camp that says, you know, we actually want students to be able to learn how to use these tools to accompany their writing or augment their writing. And others who have taken a very hard line and stance saying, no, we cannot use these tools. What is that? What are choices like that going to do in terms of 
not only things like people's productivity, but the way that, you know, people advance in society. If we take that on and we expand that out to a real macro level between those who decide or are enabled to use these tools and those who are not. So I think that is going to be a big one. We have all kinds of mechanisms in our society, such as evaluations and audits about people and their performance. When we use AI in that kind of equation, what does that mean for you know how much attention is being paid to the individual by their employer, for example? So we're seeing a whole variety of ways, and I'm I'm thinking particularly about these generative technologies, the ones that can create new text or can create new code when I'm when I'm talking about some of these use cases. But there are others as well. I think we have a choice right now in the way that we use AI to monitor a whole set of data that is deeply personal about our lives in order to customize our lives, in order to, you know, step into our homes or step into a store and have that have that entity or that place display us with different choices and options, we're going to have to make choices about the kinds of data that we want those systems to use or even infer if they don't directly collect that information about us. And what I see this as, you know, we have an expansion of a lot of the same augmentation of a lot of the same issues that we were facing before when we had, you know, applications and social media and the internet, this privacy question. And on the other hand, I see a lot of opportunity to shape the information landscape. Someone said something really striking to me that, you know, we might be among the last generation that remembers when when most of the media that we consumed was was made by people. What does that mean for how we are distinguishing between art and content and writing and images and video made by people versus AI? What does that mean for how we define or portray authenticity when we're already grappling and people have questions about that in our society? And, you know, how do we redefine where sources of truth come from when we have a media body of media and content where people get their information from that is no longer entirely human generated? I think that these are some of the large questions where design design decisions that are being taken right now, such as how we even, you know, label an image that was altered or generated by AI and our paradigm for doing something like that right now is going to inform what it looks like, you know, five to 10 years from now. Wow. So fascinating. And, you know, a couple things as you're talking, one is even as you're speaking, I'm sort of starting to feel this entity, right? It's like, it's almost like there is this third character now, right? (laughs) This consciousness that, you know, is, is taking in information, learning at incredible rates and the invitation to, again, negotiate that relationship, right? Like to say, Hey, what do we want you to do? What do you, what do we not want you to do? Right. What is it that we value about society about you know the human experience and what human what 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 it is to be human right to even create like what's the value of that <laughs> and how do we want to engage with it and th- and that is i mean again such a such a powerful mirror i think for us in this moment to say you know 
what do we value? What do we want something else to help us with versus to do for us or instead of us, right? But you also said something interesting about the information landscape and, you know, AI obviously is feeding off of information that exists that we have put out into the world, into the internet or, 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 you know, providing to the software or program. And there's a curiosity there around what has not been represented, right? Because there's a lot of information on the internet. There's a lot of examples of, of content and experiences that have been put out by certain people, but there's I don't even know, maybe like a majority of the world who have never produced content or shared, right, their own, some aspect of their own personal experience, wisdom, et cetera. I'm thinking in particular about maybe lower income people or people who have less internet access, right, have the shamans in Brazil, you know, like posted anything that is accessible to AI and how might that inform you know, the information that is is then being used by AI to to create and to learn and grow. And is that something that we want? Data matters in AI more than we give it credit. When we talk about AI, we often talk about the finished system. We talk about the experience that we have with the tool, whether it's a chat feature or something that's helping us to, you know, identify a tree in an image. We talk about the finished system, but data is, it's more than just an engine for AI. It does exactly what you said is that it creates the realm of knowledge or the realm of human knowledge that AI pulls from. And if we limit that pool of knowledge, we are not accessing all of the rich cultural and historical experiences that are that we have to offer as people across society. And what are we losing when we don't create or expand our data sets? Exactly like you mentioned, the way that many of these large models were trained was off of, you know, data that people had contributed to the internet, content that people had contributed to the internet, whether it's from open source websites, encyclopedias, different types of open social media. There is a very specific segment of the population, the global population that has contributed to those to those web pages and to that corpus of our knowledge. Now, we do recognize that with that body of knowledge, we have a really good starting place, but we also recognize many ways in which that body of knowledge does not serve us or that it fails us. It it may fail to expand, you know, the scope of our ideation if we're trying to use these AI systems to create new things, to improve our societies. And we're only drawing from such a narrow segment of the population, we're actually losing, we're losing a whole creative opportunity when we do that. And I mean, one way that that comes out is even in something like language, we have English as the primary training language of most of these models, and they're very good at other languages, including things like coding, but they are lacking source information for those languages. So 
not only that, you know, this is going to have downstream effects for the amount of generation and creativity. I think I could even see a scenario where something that we've seen in social media, where we have tastes kind of converging towards a certain direction and we have, you know, homogeneity that might not have been there otherwise. And we're going to see this not only in image-based content, but in a whole host of other content. So, you know, how are technologists think, thinking about this problem? I think it really requires a very deliberate effort to expand test data set and collection, training data and collection as well, to include data that's representative of other people and cultures that were not represented in the original body of data. And that actually has to be quite a manual process in some cases, because exactly like you said, we're not getting it from contributions to the internet. So we need to think of alternative mechanisms and means to engage those communities. Beautiful. I love the idea of like storytelling circles or something where it's like, you know, <laughs> humans kind of like, teaching AI, I mean, what it is to be human, what it is to even like feel sensory information. You know, I think where AI is so interesting now is it's mostly words, right? Or, you know, typed words. What about, I mean, maybe some sight, maybe some sound, but what is taste? You know, what is feeling in the body? Anyway, uh, so, okay. I'm also very curious, maybe the last question, but it's kind of a big one is, you know, we talked again at the very beginning about this idea that AI augments people. And I'm very curious, like, what is, what do you think is the opportunity for AI to help grow, enlighten, you know, support this is an, maybe an evolution of consciousness or, you know, creating from a maybe more beautiful place? And, you know, I think with that, there's, there's like policy and all these things that we need to do, I think, to address the pitfalls. But I'm curious what you're feeling, seeing, sensing about, yeah, where it could be a boon actually for human expression and awareness, and maybe also like some of these struggles and challenges that ultimately are the things to be afraid of <laughs> with respect to how we engage with AI. What I love about generative AI that can create net new content information that we did not have previously is that it can show us another way. In so many different respects, it can show us another way in probably, you know, some of the more obvious use cases like design of a building, but we can extrapolate that out into imagining other ways to organize ourselves, organize our society, interact with each other, reconcile differences. I love that aspect of generative AI. And I think one example of this that really stands out to me that's being used currently to attract investment for climate purposes is envisioning to investors what regenerated forests look like when people can actually imagine and envision what things look like when there's another way we are incredibly attracted to that kind of promise that kind of vision we can use that kind of example for 
all kinds of all kinds of different causes. We can use that. For example, I can imagine ways in which we might, you know, engage, get more, get people more civically involved in their communities or with each other by creating projects or generating ideas that we might have taken much longer to come up with. Another beautiful example of this on a scientific level is generating and enhancing the process of scientific discovery where models and simulations that may have taken us many weeks or many months to run, AI can process them much more quickly, which can get us to protein structures that we might have taken another year or so to discover or, you know, that and that gets us closer to new medicines, new cures. And this opportunity to envision the way that things could be different in ways that may have taken us much longer or ways that we might not have been able to synthesize so easily, because with a lot of these models, they have the ability to take in different kinds of information, like you mentioned, audio, visual, text, and put them together that enables us to have this sort of creative machine that I think will be so powerful and so beautiful for all kinds of professions, all kinds of industries, and even in everyday life as well. So I would really like to see you know, these tools being used by not only people, but also leaders in our society to help us rethink the way that things are, because we have that opportunity right now. That's amazing super, super inspiring. It feels like just something that can support our imagination, our sense of possibility, direction, vision with right all of the synthesis, all of this capacity to, to plan and make projections and, and pathways forward. And, you know, as, as you're talking, it reminds me that, you know, one of the most powerful things I think with AI is knowing what you want it to help with <laughs> and really good questions, right? Especially as, you know, I've been playing with it. I feel like knowing what to ask is really half of the half of the challenge and what an invitation for us to really consider like where is it that you want to go? What is it that you want help with as far as figuring that out and really having this collaborative partner entity, whatever you want to call it, right? That's just more processing power to support us in that really, really, it's a really beautiful vision. Yeah, exactly. I see it very much like a, a partner. And I think that also helps in the way that you formulate asking, especially for these, these kind of chat features that we're seeing pop up everywhere. They're not search tools. That's not what they do. They predict patterns in text. And so understanding getting a better sense of how they work. And I think we could do a much better job of sharing that information more broadly. And that's also, that also goes back to the point of distracting people from how the technology actually works will actually help us use it better when we, when we know that what it does is really trying to predict the words that follow in a sentence, for example, yeah. is one, one classic example. So this will really knowing what it does will help us generate those questions and recognizing that this is a tool that goes far beyond the experiences that we've had to date with search. Yeah. Beautiful. Is there anything you'd want to leave people with 
you know, in particular, I'm very curious about this, this idea of agency, this, this invitation for vision, right. And, and a tool to support you, you know, developing what it is that we want in our world. You know, I think a lot of people are kind of just watching on the sidelines, maybe playing with it a little bit, but, you know, again, as you're saying, it's like, we, we are at an inflection point with this technology where we can really decide and make some choices about what it is that we want support with and what it is that we, you know, don't want to see more of or a tool that, you know, (laughs) enables more of. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what would you invite for people as far as consideration, potential points of action, you know, what can people do maybe even in their own lives right? With respect to how, how they want to engage this technology and or anything else, you know, you want to share or leave people with. There is a real definition and and choice. I think that people are going to have to make about where they want this technology present in, in their lives. Like you were saying, according to their own boundaries and experiences, I think some are going to want to invite it into all aspects. Some are going to not want to engage with it. On the technology provider side, I think it's really important to give people the option and the and the choice very clearly to engage or disengage with this kind of AI-generated content, with AI, AI-enabled features. That choice is going to be really important so that people actually have the agency to act on that choice in their daily lives. So I think that that's, that's one very important point, design point that can be taken right now. As far as, you know, where people, what people can do to express their experiences with the technology and share them, I do think that because of our experiences with social media and our experiences with technological development to this point, internet-based technologies, we are able to actually give opinions that are viewed and taken in by technology providers and policymakers in a way that they were not in the past. And with AI in particular, it can invite criticism from every kind of viewpoint, from every kind of discipline. You do not need to be a data scientist or a mathematician to have an opinion or be able to express your experience with an AI system and identify ways that it could even be improved. So to that point, I think it's important to continue to write about AI experiences and invite, you know, different disciplinary perspectives from artists, from people who are more technically inclined, from lawyers, from every kind of discipline, because they all have something to share and contribute about the way that these systems can be designed and improved for people. So I do, you know, I really would encourage and say that the improvement does not need to be at a real technical level. We are talking about human experience with the technology and there is so much that can be done that requires really diverse viewpoints. And so I would say to share them because I think the world is listening in a way that it hasn't for other technologies. Mm, Beautiful. Rachel, thank you so much. This has been 
an absolutely incredible interview. Again, you know, it just leaving us with, is there anything that I maybe haven't asked or anything that you would like to share or express, whether it's about your personal experience or, yeah. I am, I'm an optimist about the technology. Some people that I work with are not so optimistic, but it really goes back to a core belief that I have in agency, that we have so much power over the way that we build and use technology. And when we when we delegate it out, we're delegating away our agency. I, I mean, even in speech, when we say things like, you know, oh, what's going to happen? We have control over what's going to happen. We can answer that question for ourselves. So I always come back to that point. I think we have some incredible opportunities for our society as a whole to envision, you know, new ways to be as we're fast approaching the UN Sustainable Development Goals timeline, for example, we really need some answers to some big problems. I think AI can help get us there. I'm an optimist about it, but people need to continue expressing their voices and their opinions and taking on their agency as we're going through this really major transition. Amazing. Thank you so much. If you're listening, take that in. You know, you do have a role to play. This isn't something that is fate that you have no control over that the direction that the world is headed in. If anything, you know, I think that a lot of the response to AI is interestingly a projection, right? Of our own assumptions, experiences, but, you know, as Rachel, you put it so beautifully, this is an opportunity for choice um, to choose our own direction for how we want to use this really powerful technology and for where we want it to help take us as individuals, as a collective. And so to really consider that and know that, you know, your voice matters, your experience matters, and to, to be a part of the agency that that's an opportunity right now this opportunity for for choice and decision and direction towards something more beautiful. So thank you so much again for joining me for this really powerful conversation. I'm excited to hear thoughts, reflections, feedback, comments. Please leave them in the chat or DM me. I feel like Maybe it might be fun to do a follow-on conversation if people have, you know, additional questions or thoughts. I know I posted a little something the other day and I feel like a lot of people already have questions. So if you're open to it, it would be great to continue exploring in all sorts of ways. But thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your perspective. It's it's really powerful and I think really important at this time. So super grateful and hope to get more opportunities to talk with you and help shape things to come. Thank you so much, Ray. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Take care. <laughs>